holiness is an attribute of God. And so what, what is, when someone says something is holy, what does that mean? Set apart, right? And, and if you think about it, I mean, there is nothing like God. He is the only, you know, God is the only thing that is like God, that is perfect like God, that has all of the godly attributes that God has, right? And so he, his holiness is, is so very different from anything that we can have, right? And this is one of those, um, I think, concepts that's very hard for us in our humanness, in living in this Genesis 3 world, in doing the things that we do. I think it's just like the concept of God's love. We, we talk about love, um, you know, in, in the English language, the word love has many different meanings, right? At least in the Greek, there's three different words for love that mean three different things that when you're speaking in that language and you use one word, you know whether you're talking about you know, phileo, which is friendliness, whether you're, you know, agape, which is the love of the Father, that unconditional love, or whether it's eros, which is more intimate type love, right? But in, in English, we just say love, right? But holiness is one of those things that we try to think and understand really what that means to be set apart like God is. And I think it's, it's still very difficult for us. But God, throughout his word, shows us those examples. And God himself and, and the triune God, you know, especially Christ, his son, who came and walked on the earth and was holy, right? And he lived a sinless life. And that's one of those, that's the big thing that separates us because... We're made in God's image, right? We're made to look like God, but it's our behavior and our, our actions and our decision process and all those things that are flawed by sin and our inability in our own power to keep those things, right, to keep the law fully, that separates us, right? God is always who God is, and God is always the perfect one that we know who loves without end and has you know, infinite grace and infinite knowledge and probably another one of the hard concepts for us to understand, God is outside of time, right? We, we live in time and we know what we did yesterday and we know what we're doing now and we think we know what we're going to do coming up because we can plan and things, but that always changes. But, you know, we can only see so far back in time and so far forward in time where God is not bound by time. He's out of time, if you will. And so he knows and understands all of these. Um, but we're going to talk today about God's holiness. And to do that, we're going to um, be reading in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to uh, start in verse 13. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And we're going to talk about how we as God's people are supposed to be holy because God who's holy has called us to be that way. He wants us to be a holy. So 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so Peter is writing to churches in Asia Minor, and 
part of the reason he's writing to them is they are about to experience a lot of persecution and hardship and to go through trials. And so Peter wants to strengthen them in the Lord. He wants to encourage them. And, and here he's giving them direction on what it is that they should be and do and why they should do that. So that's why he starts out and he's telling them to prepare your minds for action, to keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the... So this advice that he's giving them, when he's telling them to prepare your minds for action, what do you think he means by that? Because we... There, there will be trials, right? And, and if you think about trials... If you could classify them, what kind of trials, you know, in a really big, high-level view, what kind of spiritual and anything that separates us from God. But I was thinking along the lines of what Marianne, they're spiritual and physical, right? So we all experience physical trials, right? We get sick, you know, we get in an accident, injure ourselves. You know, we're diagnosed with some condition that we have to get treatment for. You know, we have to wear glasses. Physical stuff, right? And you can prepare yourself physically for those things, right? You can, you can eat healthy. You can exercise. You can be careful, right? You can wear your personal protective equipment. So don't get stuff in your eyes, right? But, but we live in, in a physical world, right? But really, where is the important battleground when we consider God? It's spiritual, right? We're, we're told in the Bible that we shouldn't really fear those who can just kill the body. We should fear the one who can kill the body and the soul, right? It's the spiritual battle that we have to really be thinking for, and that's what Peter's trying to prep them for. He wants them to prepare their minds for action, right? Because if, if we're going to be able to really attempt to be holy... And, and following God's footsteps and, and the example that Christ set for us, if we want to really be effective in spiritual warfare, what's a big important part of that? God's word and our knowledge, right? If we don't understand what God wants us to do, right? If we don't study his word, if we don't know what God has called us to do, if we don't have that fixed in our mind, we can't really battle in that way right it's just like if you're going to go build a house if you've never built a house what should you do before you start to go build the house better have a plan right because if you're out there and you're starting to build it and and you're going to build this nice ranch style house and your wife comes up and says no 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 i wanted to right i mean that's the whole thing right is we have to have plans and figure that out right and then if you've never run if you've never cut wood and you don't understand angles and studs, I mean, there's all this stuff you kind of have to figure out. I don't know if you've ever worked on something after someone who didn't know what they were doing worked on something and you have to try to undo it and redo it. And Ralph probably has awesome stories. We probably all do. Um, but really what Peter's wanting them to do is, is to prepare themselves. And then he also tells them to keep sober in spirit. What do you think that means when he says keep sober in spirit? What, it, it, generally, when we talk about being sober, what does that mean? Serious. Yes, exactly. He's telling them this is coming, and this is a serious thing. And if you're not ready for it, right, if you're not ready, just like building a house, when the lumber company shows up, you know, or worse yet, the concrete guy, and your forms aren't done, <laughs> that's not good, right? The lumber can sit there while you figure it out. Concrete, 
you know, that guy, and, you know, it's in the truck. You got to do something with it. Same concept. When, when, when God puts you in a trial and you're not ready for that, you know, you can, you, you should pray. You should get your Bible open. But how much better is it for you if you've studied his word and you're praying and you're in a right relationship with God and, and God gives you this challenge and you know because God in his perfect will just had you do a Bible study on patience. And now you're in a trial that's testing your patience. And because God, you're walking with him, you're in his will, you're following what he wants you to do, you just did a Bible study on patience, right? Or, you know, that's how God works, is, is he doesn't normally just throw us to the lions, right? When Daniel was in the lion den, Dan, Daniel had lots of preparation. So if you look back in your life, God's been preparing you all along to handle the things that you're having to deal with now. And I'm not saying you're perfectly prepared, right? Because how many of us follow God's will perfectly? None of us. So we're never all the way prepared, but we can be very well prepared. We can be ready to go and do those things. And that's really what he's calling them to be. And he's reminding them that they should fix their hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's telling him, you know, the trials are going to come. You need to be ready. This is serious. Keep in mind that you, you are saved, right? Christ was raised from the dead. You, as a believer, when you believe in him, you have eternal life. You will be raised at the end as well, right? You have that promise. Once, once you're saved, you can't be. And so he's writing these things. He really wants them to be prepared and to focus on these things. And then he reminds them that they belong to God. He, he tells them, you know, as obedient children, right? And so he's reminding them of that relationship that God is our father, right? He's our father in heaven, and he loves us. He's adopted us as his children, right? When we are saved, we are adopted into the family of God, and we're his children, and he's going to love us and protect us and watch out for us. And so he's reminding them of that, and he's also reminding them when he tells them that they, they're not to be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance is Peter knows, because Peter as a person struggled with this as well, is that... We all have issues we have to deal with. We all have, you know, things we've done in our past we're not proud of. We may be doing things right now that we know are not right. But God, through his mercy and his grace, will forgive us and will give us the ability to start to overcome those things. And so he's just reminding them that they have to put off those things. And they really need to be holy like God is holy, right? Because, you know, God is holy. And scripture tells us, you know, be, you know therefore be holy because I am holy. And so Peter's just reminding them in here what it is that they need to do. He's, he's preparing them for what's coming. And it, it's good for us to read this. In part of where this goes and where this ties into is think about what we've been studying with the, the Hebrew people, right? And the trials of wandering the desert and all of the things that they've done. They didn't have this particular letter to study like we do, right? We are very blessed by God in the time we live in because we have the full canon of Scripture we can study. But could the Israelites say, well, I didn't know. God didn't tell me. Could they say that? Did they have that excuse? No. God in the very, you know, he gave them the very same message, had the very same expectation of them that he has of us right? So different time, but same expectation. Remember, God never changes. 
is, is they had the opportunities, they had the direction, they had the understanding, they had prophets, they had the examples of God working in their lives. That they should have, they should have done that, but they didn't do it either. These churches that Peter's writing to, they're going to struggle in the same way, right? But that's how you know we're, we're tying all this in and, and where we're at now is the Hebrew people could have used this letter, but it wasn't that like God did not already provide them the instruction that was sufficient for them, for them to be able to do what God wanted them to do. It all just comes down to making that choice, right? And we have that choice. We can make that choice to act in a way that glorifies God and helps us be holy like he's holy, or we can make the choice not to, right? It still comes down to the choice. Just like the Israelites had the choice to do things the way God wanted them to. Just like Moses had choices, and many times he did exactly what God wanted him to, and sometimes he didn't, you know? And that's because Moses was a human and dealt with all those issues that we deal with, and we don't always make the right decision, right? doesn't mean we're condemned and God says, that's it, you're done. God loves us, and if we repent, you know, and ask for forgiveness, Christ has paid for our sins. And so we don't need to worry about that. What we need to worry about is the continuing effort that Peter here is trying to encourage these churches in Asia to do, which is to remember who we are, to, to remember God is holy, and that our job is to take off the old self and to continue to get rid of the old self and to build up the new self to be more like our Savior Jesus Christ. So part of that is we need to live reverently, um, and we can do that because we've been, you know, we have a, a pure heart because we're saved, right? Being saved, being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, having that power gives us the ability to get rid of our old sinful behaviors and move forward as best we can to be like Christ. So I'm going to continue on here in verse 17. I'm going to read 17 through 21. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope. And so here, Peter's talking to them really about if they acknowledge who they are, that they should live in a way that honors that. Because, you know, he starts out and says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. So Peter's telling them, if you're saved and you are claiming God as your father and Jesus as your savior, then you should conduct yourself that way, right? You should act in that way. Um, you know, he says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And when he talks about conduct yourselves in fear, what is he really talking about? Because we talk about it, it is, it's proper and right for us to fear God, right? Reverence, right? Being obedient, understanding who he is and who we are. And when we're saved, we are claiming Christ as our Savior and making him Lord of our life. If someone is Lord over you, you do what they say, right? And, and Christ's you know, his, his call on us is to, to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves, right? And, and so that's what Peter's telling them. He says, look, so you, if, you, if you're claiming to be Christian, if you are saved, 
then you should behave in this way. And you can behave in that way because you've been saved. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You know that you, know, you should have comfort and understand where you will be at the end. You may have to walk through serious trials here on earth. But the goal, the reward of being in the presence of God for eternity, for eternal life, is well worth whatever trials you have to suffer here in your physical body on earth. And, and it talks in here about, about judgment. You know, it says judges, you know, if you, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, right? And so when, when we talk about that, and, and judgment is one of those things... Um, because we are saved, right? And so we know when, when we pass away from this earth, we are present with the Lord, right? So we won't go through the, the great white throne judgment, right? Our book as, as believers is written in the book of life. So we are saved. But what we do as believers is judged by God. There is that judgment for rewards and things, Right? And we do have consequences here, right? And there, there are physical, earthly consequences of our behaviors, and there are eternal consequences of our behavior. But as far as eternal consequences, when you are saved, you are saved. There's no losing your salvation. That does not happen. But the Bible does talk about rewards, and when we do things here on earth that honor and glorify God, there are rewards for heaven in that. You know, it's, it's not exactly clear how all of that works out. The Bible does address some of that. Um, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, which sheds a little bit of light on that. So 1 Corinthians verse 3, 3, chapter 3. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, and this is Paul writing this, so this is Paul's. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward." If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so through the fire. And this is just reiterating, when you are saved, you are saved, right? And, and when someone is saved, can you look at someone and tell if they're saved? You can't. There's no physical appearance. It's a heart condition. Christ who judges that will know if you have accepted him as Lord. What should we see here on earth, someone who has claimed Christ as their Savior and says, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. What should we see? Fruit. A desire to do right. We have to understand, right? And we ourselves have to have grace for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We try to do the right things. Sometimes, you know, the intent is there to do the right thing. But because we're human and we don't always do the right thing, sometimes that offends people. It doesn't work out right. But it's that that desire and the motive, and, and motive is very important. There are lots of people here on earth that do very, very good things, but their motive is not to glorify God and to love their neighbor. Their motive is, I want to have people like me. 
I want to be famous. I want people to say, wow, he's a really good guy, or she's, she's great, we love her, because she gave us all this money and we built this new school, right? Building new schools or hospitals or helping, you know, that's not a bad thing if you do that for the glory of God, if your motive is right. And that's really what this is addressing here. So we're not talking about salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved, right? And there are people who get saved and don't get discipled very well, don't take advantage of things, don't join a church, and they're saved, but because they don't have that support and that understanding, they don't, they don't study the word, they don't figure out really what they should be doing, and they fall away, and they just go back into their old habits, and they never really produce any good fruit. Are they not saved? As through fire. As through fire. And, and we as people still can't judge that, right? It's very tempting for us to see someone who goes to a, a revival and, and hears the the pulpit call and they go up and ask to be saved whether or not that actually made a change in their life right we don't know that we would look at them if they fall away and go back to their old ways oh well they really weren't saved we don't know that right we shouldn't love anybody any differently whether they're saved or unsaved right we should love everyone and show them the kindness of christ right someone who's saved and understands that they reciprocate in a much different way than someone who is of the world who is not saved and you're trying to show them the love of god and be an example to them and they have no idea and they have no interest in it and their heart's not ready and they're not changed and they're just kind right but that doesn't mean we don't love those people and we don't try to. but that's just looking at this you know when he's when he's talking to them about really and really what it gets into is behavior <clears throat> so as as we're saved and we're into what with the holy spirit and we have the desire to serve god and love god and honor him and be obedient that should start to show up in our life as fruit of the spirit right the good things that God calls us, that, that evidence that we're loving our neighbor and we're loving and honoring God, that will start to show up in your life, right? And, and that's how we can look and see and have a good understanding. But still, it's that, you know, judgment is all down to Christ when we get to that. You know, the, the other thing he's talking about in here to encourage them and to remind them is that they were bought with the blood of Christ, so not anything of this world, no gold, no silver, none of those kind of things. They were redeemed through the, the blood of Christ, you know, the perfect sacrifice on the cross. And he's reminding them of that so that they would have that understanding. And I think also to help them understand, right, because it's, it's hard when we get into judgment and we talk about fruits of the Spirit and those things, which are works, right? Faith without works is dead. You know, I think James said that. But works don't save us, right? Works count, and it's an outward showing of what we're doing that we're changed, but works don't save us. Um, if we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, I think that gives us a good reminder. So Ephesians chapter 2, so Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Right? So we are saved by grace. It's the loving grace of God and Christ's work on the cross. That's what saves us. It's the belief in that and accepting him as our Lord and Savior, recognizing we're a sinner and we need a Savior, accepting him. That's what saves us. That's the grace. None of it's by works. But once we're saved and we're obedient to God and the call he has on our life, we start to do good works 
for him and to glorify him, to be obedient to him. And those good works come out as honoring and glorifying him and loving our neighbors, right? And all those things that we develop, right? And if you read through Galatians chapter 5, it has that list. And in many ways, the way those words are listed is how it shows up in a believer's life, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? What's, what's the very last one? Self-control. That is so hard, isn't it? I mean, self-control is hard. Love, right? It's love's first because we get saved because God loved us, right? Even when we hated God and we did everything we weren't supposed to and we ignored him, he loved us enough to stay with us, to watch us, to bring people into our life, to put us in the situation where our heart would finally accept God. So that's why love's first. Anyway, we don't, we don't have time to go all the way through and study Galatians 5. But I think that's really what, what Peter is trying to get these churches in Asia to understand, is that in a right way, understand salvation and, and grace, and you are saved, but you also need to have those works, you need to follow up with that. Because, you know, think of this, what, what sacrifice did God make to save us? His only begotten son, right? And think of what Christ did. Christ is the son of God in heaven, right? He created everything, yet he was willing to give all of that up for a time to come be born as a baby, right? Could Christ have shown up as, as the ruling king? He could have. He could have shown up any way he wanted, however he wanted, but he chose to show up as a baby, you know, an innocent child and grow up and live that life to be an example for us, right? And that's the awesome thing about Christ is we have a high priest who sits at the right hand of God who lived a life like we lived, who lived it perfectly and set an example for us. You know, and so in here when he's talking about that um, and reminding these churches that that's how it is, is that that's what they need to take for encouragement. They need to use that and understand that and live in that way. So the, the last thing we're going to, to look at is that you know, as, as God's people, we need to love sincerely and we need to have that heart. We need to honor that that God has done for us by being obedient and doing our best to be holy. So I'm going to finish up here, um, 1 Peter 1. I'm going to read verses 22 to 25. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. And so in, in closing this section for Peter, he's telling them, you know, really... To be obedient, you know, they, they were purified, they're saved, they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Christ's blood washes away all of their sin, takes care of all of that. And so they have no worries in that regard, and they should honor God by serving him. And he talks about, you know, the sincere love of the brethren, fervently loving one another from the heart. And he's encouraging them and really talking to them about loving their Christian brothers and sisters in, in a right way and really honoring them and supporting them because they're going to start to go through these trials and this persecution. And if the church can't support each other, if they can't love each other enough to really defend each other and encourage each other, um, 
in, in doing what they should do, right? And, and part of what happens here, you know, when we talk about persecution back in that day and age, and it happens in our, in our time as well, not really in our country, but if they were Christians and claimed to be Christians, when they were confronted, part of the persecution was they could have been crucified. They may have been killed in horrible ways. They may have been kicked out of their family. They're facing many, many physical trials here on earth that go way far beyond what we here in the U.S. have to deal with. There are countries in our world today where if you're a Christian, you are persecuted in that way. Some people are killed for being Christian. We don't have to deal with that, but we still deal with things, you know, in the trials that God has us walk through. But he's just telling them, you know, they really need to remember this. And, and he focuses on, you know, the, the perishable and the imperishable. And he talks about you know, what, what that means, because our salvation is imperishable. Once we have been saved, we are spiritually alive. And, and no, nobody, nothing, there isn't anything in heaven or on earth or anywhere else that can kill our live spirit. When we are spiritually alive, when we are saved, we are saved. And so in that way, we are imperishable. But how are we perishable? physical bodies, right? We still have the physical body. And so Peter's using, um, you know, some Old Testament scripture here where he's talking about all flesh is like grass, right? And, and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord. He's trying to help them understand that, you know, once that, once that imperishable seed is implanted in you, once you are saved and you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, your spirit is alive forever. You know, your physical body is alive and works as long as God has work for you to do on this. But just like the physical grass of the earth, right? We plant seeds and that plant grows and it goes through its life cycle and it dies, right? Your physical body is going to do the same thing. God has a path for you to walk. God has numbered your days and he knows how long you will be here and we don't know, right? But we know if we are still here, no matter what condition we are in, we are here because God wants us here to serve him and to love one another, do whatever it is that God's called us to do. And when he's ready for us to come home, he will call us home. But until he's called us home, we're here to help serve him, right? And there are lots of ways we can serve. And even if, if you are, you know, if... if if your body has failed and you can't do very much, you can still pray, right? There are lots of things we can do. If you're someone who has studied the Word and knows the Word, you can help encourage others by helping them study the Word. There are many, many ways that God helps us to use that perishable part as long as God wants it here and wants it to be used. And so we have to remember to honor that because we don't always like that, right? We don't always like it when our physical body starts to fail and things go wrong. I don't like these. I especially don't like it when having issues with my eyes and trying to see with bifocals and there's one tiny spot and trying to work on my Jeep and I'm underneath and I can't get my head craned around where I can look through, where I can actually see to get stuff done. And I don't like that, but I have to deal with that, right? And, and there are many things that we don't like, right? So it's, it's one of those things we just have to work through and, and understand. That's true. And, you know, I mean... God wants us to understand his word, right? And so God uses many examples and phrases and things in the Bible that we can all understand and relate to. So we, we all, for the most part, understand 
plants and you could take a seed which doesn't look like much and we can put it in the right conditions and it sprouts and it grows right and many plants when they grow you see a little bit on top right but underneath there's all this root structure that's growing underneath right? and and it's the roots that have to grow to support what we see right and people are the same way if your heart's not growing if you're not reading and studying and internalizing the word of god and really committing it to memory and and having that desire you know, when, when that stuff starts happening in your heart, where it's rooted, it starts to show up out here, right? And, and what happens to trees that grow really fast and don't have very good root systems when the wind blows? Right? What happens to people when we do all this stuff out here, but we're not internalizing it, we're not really having that relationship with God, we're not spending time in prayer? Sometimes what happens? We as people crash, right? So... God uses these analogies. He, he wants us to understand. You know, God created us. He knows, he knows what the, our intellectual capacity is. What, how, I mean, we have to remember that. Ultimately, God loves us, and he wants us to be successful, right? He gives us choices to be successful. I mean, that's something anybody, if you've ever taught anybody to do something, you know, or you're a boss or a supervisor, your kids, it's, it works much better if you right if you teach them what to do if you do the building blocks if you give them a chance you can learn to swim by having someone take you and throw you in a river right that's not very much fun you can also drown right but it, it, life is that way and god looks at us that way and he helps us with those building blocks now sometimes he throws us in the deep end of the pool maybe before we think we're ready but god knows we're ready and god put a support system around us to know that we would survive being put in the deep right so can't always do things in a very comfortable way that we like because as people, will we ever get out of our comfort zone? Generally not. So sometimes we need a little bit of a nudge, just like your kids riding a bike at some point, you gotta take the training wheels off, right? If you're learning how to ride a horse, at some point you have to get on the horse and go ride it somewhere outside of the round pen, right? I mean, it, there are, you get to points where you have to do that. Sometimes our faith is that way. But that will go much better if you are prepared, right? If you've put in the time and you know how to saddle the horse and, and the horse knows you and, and you've gone through all of that and you understand what to do if you have to make an emergency stop or if the horse does this, right? And, and you don't send them out on a parade their first time out, right? You put them out in the pasture. I mean, there's all these things we can do, right? And there's lots of analogies for that. But God does that for us. God loves us. He's not... You know, but just like, you know, the, all of that that goes along with that, it's not that God doesn't discipline us, right? He disciplines us because he loves us. So it's just, you know, I think in all this, Peter's really trying to set them up and help them understand that. And I think what's really important to you is the very last line here, and this is the word which was preached to you. This is the very same thing. So what Peter's telling them is, you've heard this before. I am not the first person to tell you this is what you should be doing and this is how you should do it, right? Paul did that. Um, we don't have time today, but if you go and look, it's in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Paul is telling the Corinthians, this is what I've preached to you. And it's a short, quick four or five verse summary of the gospel. It's a great, those are great verses if you're talking to someone who's not a believer and you want to just introduce the gospel to them maybe in a little bit later. That's the story. But what I wanted to emphasize and close with is the gospel we study and believe in today is the exact same gospel that Peter 
is writing this letter to the churches in Asia. It's the same message Paul preached. It's what Christ lived out. It's the exact same message. And that message doesn't change. God's message has never changed. The world changes, and society changes, and technology changes, and time goes on. But, you know, really, salvation is the same. You are saved by grace through the work of Christ on the cross. It has nothing to do with works. Once we are saved, we should want to honor God by following, you know, Jesus summed the commandments up. You should love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the Ten Commandments wrapped up into two, right? Those are the things, and that message hasn't changed from the beginning to today, and it's not going to ever change, right? Because when we're in heaven, when the New Jerusalem is here, what are we going to be doing? Loving God and, and loving in heaven. Whatever that looks like, we're all going to be there. So it's the same and it's constant. And so we should think through that as much as our day-to-day lives change and all the things that we have to deal with change and all of the, you know, we look at the world around us and, and we see the news and all the craziness that's going on in, in Europe and Ukraine. And it is terrible. It's hard, right? But we need to rest in the fact that God's in control and his plan is being worked out for the good of all. And that's what God's plan does for us. And it's not always comfortable for us. But all of this is working its way through to get us to the point where Christ's second coming happened. And we don't know when that is. But we know it will happen because it's in the Bible. And the Bible is of God. And we can, we can have faith in that. And whether God's plan is for some of us to be alive when Christ returns, that's awesome. If his plan is for that to happen in another however many years, well, that's awesome too because God is going to take care of that and it's all working through him and what he wants to do. But hopefully this little review back through with Peter writing to the churches in Asia helps us remember, you know, as we go through and we're studying the Old Testament and we're looking at the, the examples of what God was wanting them to do and whether they did it well or not in those examples and the setting up of the sacrificial system and really what Christ ultimately came is that really we're still called to do the same thing that all Christians have been called to do and that everybody who follows after us is going to be called is that we need to love God and love our neighbors, right? And when we're saved, the working out of our salvation shows up as... Do we have any comments or questions? I, we, we can, I think we can approach being holy, but if we describe God as being holy, we'll, we won't get there but we can attempt to do that it's what i think of as the sanctification process so we now process of being more holy is being obedient to god and being obedient to god means loving god right and loving our neighbors so as we live our lives when we take actions that are obedient to god in the scripture and loving our neighbors we are both you know, when I think of holy, it's being set apart. We can also think of as being set apart. As Christians, we are set apart, right? We are aliens in this world. That's one way God helps us understand in his word in the Bible. We're aliens. This is not our permanent home. Once we get saved, our permanent home is in heaven where we will live for eternity. So for now, we're in a foreign country. We're going to do our best to, 
live in this foreign country and not follow its ways and not worship its idols and not sacrifice our resources to this foreign place, but we're going to take all of that that God gives us and we're going to use it to advance his kingdom. And so, um, and that, that's my thinking through of it is, you know, God says, be holy because I am holy. He's, you know, if you can look at that and say, well, be like me. Well, I'm trying hard to be like God. Am I ever going to be like God? Exactly. No. But I can, I can exhibit his attributes. I can love my neighbor. When I see someone who's really hurting, I can come alongside with them and I can say, hey, what's happening? You know, share with me what's going on. And then I can use God's word to help them with that trial, right? When I, when I get attacked and persecuted and things are not going well for me, I can respond in the right way and I can not throw things and yell and, and stamp my feet and, and ask God why, but I can step back and go, okay, I don't like this. God knows I don't like this. God knows this is uncle. But what am I supposed to learn? You know, and is is what I'm supposed to learn? I'm engaging in sinful behavior, and this is this is a con behavior, right? Where I am, I did to myself, and God's just saying, "Hey, you know, you ran into the wall, and it hurts, so quit running into the wall." And I go, "Okay, it, it may be something else." You know, we we have to sit back and think through that. I think the better our prayer life is. And the closer we walk with God, the better understanding we have of that. And the better we're able to cope with it, right? Nobody likes to go through those trials. But in that, that sanctification process, as we become more holy, we look and act more like Christ. Like We will never be Christ, but we can be like him. And that's what I